What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined by audience favorite, Christopher Bedford. Uh, he's our, he is a senior editor at The Federalist and also uh, who I like to refer to as a tech executive over at RightForge, which actually gives him, uh, I would say, some insight, uh, particular insight, insight that I never expected expected uh, Chris Bedford to have actually <laughs> on the story of, <laughs> the story that we're talking about today which it's 12:45 I have been doing this is the third already uh, podcast that I will be doing today on Elon Musk um, but it's an important topic despite the fact that Twitter has a, a fairly tiny user base let alone daily user base especially when compared with Facebook Instagram TikTok and other social media platforms um, Chris you and I both have stories up on the Federalist today about this. Yours is specifically, uh, or yours is actually um, more specific on on what can be done. Tell us what you wrote um, and what you think of this new development. Well, I'm cautiously optimistic uh, for this new development. I think it bodes well based on his past statements. Uh, he's, he's had statements in the past. Elon Musk has that are in favor of the Bill of Rights and say that the United States is public forums like Twitter, which he thinks is one, ought not to be regulated by just Silicon Valley's arbitrary wishes, uh, but ought to be regulated by the Bill of Rights. And he's been attacked as like a free speech absolutist out there. And they all these folks who are in favor of censorship just saying, well, if, if you're in favor of free speech and you're just in favor of murder and, and terrorism and pornography and anti-Semitism and all this stuff, and they're, and they're just trying to get people to say it. But the reality is America has a really strict system and a strong system in place for defense of those things that he just wants to institute here. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Of course, Elon Musk is going to be distracted by a number of different things. He's got Tesla. He's got the Boring Company. He's got Neuralink. He's got SpaceX. Those things that take a lot of his attention. He's also pretty new to this forum as a public figure. I'm not sure who's influenced him toward these points of views. Um I hope it's not just, you know, smoking weed with Jack and talking about it. I hope there's a firmer base, but I've got no idea what educates him or what drives him. I think a lot of us don't. Uh, as a friend of mine who's worked in tech for a lot longer, a lot longer than I have, told me earlier today, Musk has no masters, which is something that's very unusual in this world, uh, at least uh, human masters. Hmm. And because of that, he's, his behavior has often been fairly erratic and difficult to predict. 
So it's still a big question mark, but um, we can go into the piece later. But there's a couple of different things that we should be keeping an eye on. And first is, what does he do? Slash, what can he do? Who's he hire? Second, the Twitter employees, how do they react? Uh, third, even the government, which could end up having to say here. And then finally, the American entrepreneurs, which are still completely uh, important to this to this fight. Yeah, the last point is one that I, I wanted to get your thoughts on in particular, um, because I'm sort of curious as how this has rippled through the world that you now sort of have one foot in, um, in the sense that I see a lot of this as being about our norms, because what Silicon Valley has done is along with our, our culture more broadly, they have been a huge part in saying the norm of neutrality in content moderation is uh, it is essentially bigoted. It is violence. Um, if you take their arguments to sort of their logical conclusions, which is to say enabling or being complicit in speech that is violent. So if you buy into that very far left, but very popular, um, at least on the left notion, then you are complicit in violence. Thus, your content moderation policies, unless you Twitter are complicit in violence against trans individuals and, and black individuals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you buy into that, as, as big tech has, that's a dramatic shift in our norm about what uh, we allow sort of those, those boundaries of acceptable speech to be. We have, we have long accepted the cranks in the public square um, because we believe in debating them. We believe in freedom and we believe that sometimes the cranks turn out to be correct. And if you silence them, um, it, it's not good for anybody, um, even when they're saying truly heinous things. Um, and, and this is a huge this has been an albatross for Facebook, for Twitter, for uh, Instagram. And if Elon Musk is able to sort of finally uh, take that weight off of people's shoulders, it seems like it opens a lot of things back up. Yeah, someone who's willing to take those slings because a lot of yeah. there's a really interesting article in the Atlantic out uh, this month that did, goes into just how mob controlled by a small number of people social media has allowed America to be, where you can get between bots and real people and this viral outrage machine. You can call somebody a racist or uh, for supporting I don't know a, just a merit based system. You can call somebody. Uh, like like Sean, uh, like that Sean fake activist guy, whatever his name is, Sean, oh, Sean King, King. <laughs> was claiming today that if you support free speech, you support anti-Semitism. Just say it. Right. Uh, it's, it's these insanity things. And but the the social media has allowed these people to get thousands and thousands of retweets. They've allowed all these random folks to just pile on. And when you're an American entrepreneur or an American tech executive or an American politician. You're totally freaked out by that. You're led by the nose by this mob, whether or not it's real, whether or not it means anything at all. Elon Musk so far has been willing to say, I don't really care what you say about me. I'm going to do this. He's not afraid of that mob. And that's interesting to see. Again, who knows exactly where it's going to go. The the, the I think one of the ways to answer these folks, like I was just go pushing back at Sean King of the day. Of course, it's not going to get that many retweets. Was he, he says, well, if you're for, if you're for free speech, then then you must be for anti-Semitism. It's just worth pointing out that he was someone who said that images and statues and stained glass windows that depict Mary and Christ should be smashed because mm. of symbols of white supremacy, like actually pushing for the attack and vandalism of churches. Uh, I mean, what the heck? What the heck is he talking about? Hate As crime. an act of anti-racism. <laughs> As an act of anti-racism, you should be anti-Christian. Absolutely insane. Uh But there's another aspect that comes in for the American entrepreneur here, and that's the reality that Elon Musk is just not not going to save us. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just, it, it's kind of sad to watch how oligarchic America has become where we're just rooting for one billionaire to smash the other billionaire we like. And then these, the left wing is screaming, oh my gosh, we like it. We liked that billionaire, but not this billionaire. And there's just all these meltdowns about it. Now, I do think Elon Musk is a better person than the folks he's taken over for. I'm super excited about it. But there's, there's still multiple fights to have. What Elon Musk right now is doing is putting basically his entire fortune into Twitter, something which has been important for crafting those mobs, something that's been important for honing the corporate media message, something that's been important for suppressing conservative and Christian and parents and dissenting scientists, all kinds of dissenting thought for years, but it's not largely a main, a main aspect of our lives. We have major aspects of our lives, like internet servers, which we talked about, um, this we do at RightForge. Amazon Web Services is the biggest internet server company on the country. They are the ones that deplatformed Parler for some completely made up crime. And guess what? Twitter runs basically entirely and runs entirely on Amazon Web Services. Right. And if there's any signs that Elon Musk might be in danger from this, you can see the head of community outreach tweeting out that those dissident anti-free speech Twitter employees who are going to resign where they have a home at AWS. You have Jeff Bezos. Bezos tweeted, right. Yeah, who's had no problem ever uh, doing a deal with communist China, even for censorship and propaganda, saying that, well, Elon Musk is now going to be beholden to the Chinese because he makes some batteries there. Uh, that's a bad sign for that. And that's something that folks need to be tackling. So he's tackling Twitter, but there's there's banking, there's finance, there's uh, there's servers, there's email distribution systems, there's office management systems and payment systems. All of these different things, were, access is being cut off to by anyone who has a dissident voice. College universities, there's, there's, there's a role for all Americans here. And it can be tempting to just watch the battle of the gargantuans and clap or boo but we, all of us are needed on this, the products we use, the products that we work on, uh, and, and where we devote our own time and money. So Musk is now at the hands of Jeff Bezos, is, is the point that you're making. And I didn't realize Twitter was hosted on AWS. But if that's true, that is, inor- that is a, a, a huge subplot in this story. Yeah, he's com- they're completely hosted by that. I mean, it's something that obviously he has the resources to try and fix, but there's a lot, not a lot of safe harbors out there for him. It's a it's a really dangerous place. Now, of course, Bezos might not Bezos might not want to pull the plug on Elon Musk. He might think that's a fight too far. But with the right pressures, if I don't think he would do it over Elon Musk just owning Twitter, but over Elon doing something that is considered outside of the beyond the pale or outside he of the lets news. Alex Jones back on Twitter say he lets yeah, Alex, he lets Jones, Alex back, Jones he lets on. Donald Trump back yeah those are the kind of things where you could say we need to defend this and pull the plug and Amazon Web Services is not just some normal server company they also have their own building blocks so when you build a website on them you use their their software and their tools and their code to build that that website. So that's what happened with Parler is when they were deplatformed, they couldn't just take all the code and put it on a new server. It only worked with Amazon Web Services. They had to rebuild it piece by piece. Now, Twitter has a lot more resources than Parler had, but this is something they really need to be considering right now because if Amazon shut them down, it wouldn't just be simply moving to another server company. It would take a lot of work. Okay. And actually, now that you say that, the like as you mentioned, the tweet from the community service outreach person at Amazon, the thing from Bezos, um, that actually seems extremely ominous. Um, but what you're doing, and we've talked about this before, um, and is actually like extremely relevant right now, is working to have servers that folks can go to if they're deplatformed. Right, they can build their their site back on your servers. 
Yeah, that's that's what we're doing. So my my large time job, uh, I get to write part time for the Federalist and take over there, which has been an amazing time. But what's taken the bulk of my energy over the last couple of months has been working for Right Forage. And our we started right after Amazon Web Services destroyed Parler, saying, "Holy smokes, an entirely new sphere has been politicized. It's the server space. Um, we're gonna we we've now got sir, over thirty data centers in six continents." We're the largest uh, alternative and one of the larger server companies around through our resources and our allies. And our entire thing is we don't, our, our user agreement is the bill of rights. It's actually in our corporate documents. And we say, come one, come all. We're not political. We're just free speech. And unfortunately, that has been politicized recently. We've taken a number of clients, including True Social, we've been proud to be working with, uh, and a lot of other ones who don't want to be named who are at risk of being deplatformed uh, to make sure that they're good, that they are secure. And because of that, I mean, this is there are so many enemies out there. We Because of that, we've had to fight attacks from Anonymous, the hacker group. We've had to fight back the Chinese government that was angry about a website reporting correctly that the <laughs> – that there may be a link to the COVID lab, the COVID leak to the COVID lab uh, in Wuhan. So those are the kind of fights that we've invited with it. And I can tell Elon Musk, he knows it already. I think he's pretty used to it, but he's got a pretty big target on his head right now from anonymous, from foreign governments, from, and from the people in our own country, whether it's the U.S. government or Jeff Bezos. Right Forge, courtesy of Elon Musk, just got a nice uh, advertisement via Chris on Federal I like how you rattled off all your statistics. As a journalist, you knew exactly what you were doing there, Chris. <laughs> oh, man. It's a new uh, world. He's a talented, he's a, he's, look at him, he's a talented flack. <laughs> you know, I, I never, ever, ever intended to leave journalism, and I seriously, seriously look forward to the time when I get to go back to it and just focus entirely on writing and opinion and reading journalism. But I, the reason I did this and the reason I got the go-ahead from some of our colleagues is because I, I don't think that we're going to be able to do it for that much longer, given the politicization that's been going on in technology. Uh, and this this thing from from Elon Musk, I mean, I'm I'm suspicious. I'm I'm holding back. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic of what's going to happen next. But it sure does feel good to have one of the leading oligarchs on the planet on our side for once. That, yes, it that does. is refreshing. All right, think about this. Many of us spend more time every day in our office chair than in our cars or in our beds. That's why it's so important to invest in the right chair so that you're spending those hours with the right level of support and comfort so that you can get the most productivity out of your day. When you think about it, we do spend so much time worrying about our mattresses and our cars and not our chairs. But X-Chair has made my time at my desk not only more productive, but it's honestly my favorite place to sit for any reason. So not only does X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL offer the ultimate customized support, but my X-Chair can even give me a massage or heat up or cool down. And now, thanks to X-Chair's new FS360 armrests, I can even adjust my armrests to the perfect position. Now, all these unique X-Chair features help the hours at my desk fly by in complete comfort. And that's why I love my X-Chair. Go to xchairfederalist.com now. That's the letter X chair f-e-d-e-r-a-l-i-s-t dot com or call 1-844-4x-chair for $100 off your order x-chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month xchairfederalist.com what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation 
where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. <laughs> it's bittersweet. Um, and, and no, I actually think that's what's cool about Chris's story is if, if, if other journalists, if real journalists at places like the Washington Post and the New York Times were truly as dedicated to the professions as they purport to be, they would be supporting other missions because this is a, this is a serious, serious threat um, that basically speech is in the hands of oligarchs like Jeff Bezos. And now you can make the same argument about Elon Musk at Twitter, although he does seem to be directionally in the right place when it comes to running your private company with the speech standards that we have interpreted over the years uh, as the First Amendment. That is the sort of the best standard um, to to govern discourse and understanding that in the private sector is important. Now, Bezos is right about Elon Musk, uh, who also has some sort of dystopian ideas about uh, the human brain. And <laughs> he wants to else. put robots in our brain. Yes. Like, he is a microchipper and he's <laughs> yeah. open about it. Right. He's open about it. Um, but, you know, there I saw someone ask a great question. You know, what does Musk do if the Chinese government comes calling um, and he does rely on the Chinese government. You you said some batteries, but he has big business in China to the point yeah. where he has um, sucked up to them a good amount. So if, if the Chinese Communist Party comes calling and says, you got to get this stuff off Twitter, what does Elon Musk do? I think that's a very real question. But your point, your, your broader point, Chris, about how these are sort of battling billionaires is an interesting one in the context of Elon Musk paying $42 billion for a company that is not capable of producing profits anywhere near its sort of valuation, right? Like Twitter's value is in its power, not in its ability to generate money. Um, and even if Elon Musk turns the business around, it's worth $42 billion because there's this cultural appetite for a better version of Twitter, for free speech on Twitter, but also for just free speech for, for somebody to model the path forward um, for other folks in tech and to say, hey, it's OK. Um, we can run this as America traditionally has run uh, you know, spaces like this and everything will be just fine. Um, but there's this this dueling sort of oligarchical situation where Jeff Bezos also thinks what the public wants is more, and Mark Zuckerberg also thinks what the public wants is is indeed more censorship. And it's true. There's the slice of the public that's much smaller than they think, to be to be fair, of the public that is just obsessively censorious. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see how Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos um, deal with that, given that Bezos is hosting the servers and thinks it's good for his business to be sort of censorious. Although if he drew the line at Musk, he's going to have to kick a lot of other people off his servers as well. 
Well, I, I'm sure I hope this is something that's on Musk's mind because this is the bind that a lot of American businesses find them in, whether you find themselves in, whether you're the MBA or an electric car manufacturer or Disney which is that how much do you cater to the Chinese market? Now, this is something that these incredibly greedy uh, and stupid CEOs inside a lot of these cases have put themselves into completely. It only takes uh, a couple of years of watching any company going to China before you realize you're offered all of these different perks. You're offered access to these massive, massive ports. You're offered access to this incredibly cheap and subsidized labor. These are all things that you seem like, oh, and, and you get access, quote, to these markets. They're always saying the markets. Billionaires and, and, and corporate American executives have been talking about the future growth in China since since Nixon opened it up. It's never actually like really materialized in a way that's super beneficial for almost all of these American companies. A lot of them end up going out of business, et cetera, because the Chinese exercise control over you. They take over stuff. They start to seize things. They steal your technology. They copy it. They ban you from their markets. They start to sell count, uh, counterfeit versions of your of your of your technology, and they try to govern what actions you're going to have in the United States. It's extremely short-sighted for any of these executives to have been involved at all in China, despite the size of their ports and the efficiency of some of the manufacturers, some of the, the human resources being so darn cheap, human life in China being so cheap. This is something he's going to have to battle against, and he's going to have to make his choices. But just like you said, it wasn't necessarily profitable for him to spend all this money on Twitter. So I don't know if profit's his game, but you, if you're a Tesla investor, you've got to be watching this pretty carefully. I mean, I know the stock prices go up and, and go down, and it's kind of just trying to read bones sometimes, getting a view of exactly what that means. But it's worth noting that Tesla's stock dropped uh, dropped 0.7% just yesterday in the news that Elon Musk had finally bought this thing. It's been down now about seven points this, this whole year uh, from where it was previously. And that might point to some investors saying, where is your attention going to be? And if China threatens Tesla and their profits and their money and their bottom line over Twitter – but which side are you going to take? The way Elon Musk is acting right now, it seems like he would take the side of free speech. But who knows what Elon Musk we're going to have in a year? It, it's interesting because actually uh, the those Facebook posts that uh, <laughs> the left freaked out about um, over Rus Russian interference in the 2016 election and the Senate committee, committee compiled. I don't know if you've looked at them, but compiled a report um, with screenshots of the memes that the Russians were using to interfere in our election. And it was funny because they were really trying to divide Americans to exploit the divisions when it comes to Black Lives Matter and trans issues um, and on down the line. And I'm sure the, the Chinese also understand that's a, a, a great way to foment discord in the, in the United States and to weaken us. And I think we saw that happen in Anchorage when Jake Sullivan just sort of stared blankly um, when they attacked the United States for being racist um, and all of that. And our response was so incredibly weak um, to that discussion. What was he going to say? We're, no, we're not. That was right. their whole campaign prom premise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> this is something that the communists have been doing since day one in the United States. I mean, this is something you've always had to focus on. Uh, when Thomas Jefferson initially wrote in the first drafts of the Declaration of Independence, he put among the intolerable acts that King George had sent human bondage over here and made us reliant. It was listed in the Declaration of Independence as something to be attacked and destroyed. And the reason why it wasn't in the final draft is because there were just two states, I think I, Georgia and another, I think I think South Carolina, but not positive. Don't mean to malign the good people if I'm wrong, <laughs> but uh, their ancestors. But there were just two states that said, well, this is problematic for us. And the reason why the founding fathers didn't end up going with that is because they knew even then that even though they had every other state, 11 of the 13 colonies, 
coming in here together on this, those two would be peeled off by King George. He would get into the ears of the rich people in those states or those people who are defenders and say, these states are these colonies are working against your will. And he would be able to peel them off from their revolution and then it would fail. The Russians have been doing this since the beginning of the Soviet Union, whether it's giving money to Martin Luther King's cause. Do you think they supported Martin Luther King and civil rights? Absolutely not. They didn't give a darn about that, but they would give money to groups that were supporting a good cause. And sometimes they would give money to groups who are supporting just chaos in the American streets to some of the more racial causes and angry causes just to sow dissent. This is something that they've always done. Right now, they're probably giving money to anti-vaccine and pro-vaccine causes just to push it because that makes us at each other's throats. And that's what they want. Well, and I, I say that because I was heading in that direction because I think it raises this question of if, if you're Xi Jinping um, and the folks over in Beijing right now and somebody who uh, wants your business badly uh, to the point where they've you know sucked up now owns this huge major platform um, for speech in the United States and wants to create a more like a, a, an environment that's more friendly to free speech. Do you want to pressure him to uh, open it up or not? Right. Like, is it, is it, is the United States weaker in their opinion, if we openly debate these things or if we don't? And I think the answer is very clearly if we don't, because it creates this immense pain where you're marginalizing people by saying their voices are not reasonable. Their voices are, are bigoted. Their voices are bad. They are conspiracy theorists. Um, and I feel like if anything, they they will be unhappy that someone like Elon Musk is interested in reopening uh, those sort of the gates to speech I mean, on Twitter. They, they look at free speech as just a weakness of our civilization, though. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's a good that's a great point. They think that this is just a place to be exploited as part of just liberal bloat, something that's 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 contemptuous or contemptual. They just they, they, they have no regard for free speech and can't understand why we do it. And they'll use it to try and take us down. And that kind of brings up one of the problems that Twitter's going to have a hard time solving. Elon Musk's trying to go after a couple of things he named going after bots. And that would be great because bots leads to a lot of insanity on Twitter and a lot of just what appears to be mobs not being real. It's going to be extremely difficult to do that without actually to train machines to do that without actually censoring human voices. That's something he's going to do. And that kind of the big problem with social media that we have right now and why the Atlantic article about how the last 10 years have been so dumb was so interesting is, because, is that it, it really amplifies anger and it amplifies hate. And it lets, it lets a certain number of people who are autom- who are already our bullies have far bigger reach and it, it, it creates tribalism. I mean, if you have a, if you have a dissenting thought on the American left as a more traditional liberal academic or politician, you're going to get heaped on and attacked. Someone is going to call you a racist. I mean, Elon Musk buying Twitter was racist yesterday. Free speech is racist. Uh, The Virgin Mary is racist. So someone's going to find that. And even on the right, when people have dissenting points of views. uh, That was a new claim yesterday, by the way. Cubicles, racist. Yeah, cubicles are racist. Uh, That's interesting. That's I mean, they're awful. I'll I'll grant you that. I've never heard racist. Uh, I'll have to look into that one. But this kind of thing, social media still has such an ability to just cow people from dissenting from these points of views. So I, I think if I was China right now, I'd be looking at this and saying, well, maybe I can leverage this in a way that helps me control dissent uh, or criticism of China. But at the same time, they've got to love the chaos. 
Well, yeah, I think they do. And that's, yeah, I think that's a, a very, that point is very well taken. Although I also think it's interesting that this experiment has kind of played out over the course of the last 10 to 15 years. And it, if anything, it gives us more evidence that uh, our culture of free speech was not a, was not a weakness. Um, in fact, the alternative creates a, a much weaker culture, at least relative to the past. But this point is, this is exactly, I think, why I am not fundamentally optimistic about Musk. And again, we have all we have all of these reasons um, that this is good and that this is bad. And I think it is certainly better the, than the alternative. There's no question about it. But you referenced um, the Jonathan Haidt piece in The Atlantic, which was a, a beautiful piece, actually. Um, and I, I think it articulated a lot of things very well. And the, liber- the libertarian criticisms of it, um, I don't think landed especially effectively about how you know social media is, is sort of unfairly blamed for a lot of these social ills. Twitter yeah, at the I, end of the day- I paid for by Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- Twitter at the end of the day has gamified not just our politics, but our culture, our entertainment, and its social media. So it's it's gamified our interactions with each other. Tristan Harris um, talked about this in the Social Dilemma on Netflix, and he has a an entire uh, you know nonprofit now that he works on tech ethics. But he worked for Google. And they were trying to make people spend as much time as possible on Gmail just by the design, the, the, the aesthetic design of the site. Twitter is no different. Uh, these companies' business models are predicated on getting us to spend as much time as possible in the online world. And Twitter does that um, by playing on our, our sort of neurological reactions. It is literally run like a slot machine. And that means we have transferred our politics, our personal lives, and our cultural conversation. A large part of it, this is where politicians put out their statements. This is where uh, journalists get their stories. The media basically uses Twitter as an assignment editor. We have transferred all of this work onto a platform that is run like a slot machine that brings out the worst by design of humanity. And we have run that experiment for 15 years and the results are, are eminently clear. It has been bad. This makes the world and the country worse. And so uh, I remember I asked the Twitter, or the, I'm sorry, the parlor CEO over a year ago, um, I said, you know, this is all great. I, I, I think this is a good trust of, uh, this is a good test of how bad our antitrust system is. Um, you know, Twitter is pretty clearly a monopoly and I think it's great to, to challenge that. But what makes Parler different than Twitter on this fundamental question? Twitter is bad. Um, and, and I know there are reasons that it's good. I know that culture of expression is good, but Twitter is bad. Um, and, and we can't just uh, come to the table and say, oh, free speech. That's less than half the battle, in my opinion. And nobody's even talking about the fact that this is an addictive technology that has uh, made our, our lives and our politics and our culture worse. I mean, I, I think that's right. There's there's some good that's coming out of this, but at the end of the day, Elon Musk is going to have to run a successful business that can justify the huge amount of money that he just poured into it. That means turning the profits. That's going to, that's not going to mean dialing back some of the more adrenaline releasing aspects of it, the notifications. Although I can tell you, you can turn off your notifications, which I have basically done. Although mine are just for people I know, and it still kind of pulls me in every now and then. It gives that a little release of adrenaline in your brain. The one great thing I see about this that I'm very interested in, the most important change he so far talked about is, is making the, the algorithms open source. Yes. These, these algorithms have become like 
the Wizard of Oz or the pillars of the temple of the of the corporate censorship campaign. Every time a Christian or a concerned parent or a scientist dissident or a professor or a journalist like John Daniel Davidson, our own, uh, or a news source or whoever questions or goes the wrong way or says something as simple as like maybe a, maybe a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, the algorithms supposedly target them. Those people are removed. It always leans much significantly, more significantly toward people who are dissidents from the left wing regime, anyone who pushes back against that. And every time they're caught, even when it's inexplicable and it's inexcusable, they always just say, well, it's the algorithm's fault. It's not our fault. We're not going to blame anyone. This has been corrected. So this has been both like this search and destroy robot that goes out there and gets accounts that fall into these conservative ideas and, and knocks them down. But more than that, it's been a shield for the people and the officers who are actually actively involved in this. Like there was a tweet yesterday that was deleted by a New York Times reporter that Sean Davis uh, then pulled back up our own that said, listen, there's an issue here. I'm, I'm somebody who, mod- who, who moderates the twi- what's trending on Twitter to make sure that it's healthy and not bullying. And that's it's like, well, okay, so you're somebody, I know they always blame the algorithms, you're talking about being a person who has their finger on what is trending, who decides what trends and what doesn't. Because we've always we've watched and we've seen some of the most obscene and ridiculous things trending that aren't true as attempts to drive that conversation. If Elon Musk makes all those things public, not only does that break that control and end that control and allow your tweets or my tweets or other people's tweets to be as successful as, you know, Meghan Markle or Prince Harry's tweets who aren't who don't have the sign of shadow banning. Not only does it do that, but it pushes other social media companies to possibly do the same thing. What's the excuse then for Facebook to hide it as proprietary? What's the excuse for Instagram to hide it? What's the excuse for Google, which uses their algorithms to make it so you can't even find a Daily Caller article that I, I type in the headlines of articles that I've written with my name, with Daily Caller from back in the day. Yep. I have to use Bing to find them. They, they blame that on the <laughs> algorithm, but that's intentional, right? Stay so strong. It's, it's stay strong, right? I'm going to survive. Uh, the... But exposing that is is a key chip into the the tech the big tech giants. And if that's all that Elon Musk does and is successful at doing, well, that'll still be a great blow. I think the reason I ended up in journalism is that I'm just so skeptical of absolutely everything. It's like a reflex. And so when the good folks over at my pillow offered to send some towels my way, I was immediately skeptical. I thought there's so much hype here. Can they live up to it? Nothing beats the feel of a luxurious towel when you step out of the shower. And I'm telling you, this is not scripted right here. These really work. They're very, very absorbent. I got them in a nice blue color. So you can also wrap yourself in nothing but the best with the MyPillow towel set. Other towels feel good, but don't absorb or they absorb, but they're scratchy and just don't feel good. Every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch, but without that lotiony feel. Plus, with a 60-day money-back guarantee, you can try them for yourself and return them if you're not fully satisfied. Made with cotton grown here in the U.S. and available in a variety of colors, each towel set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. So for a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with promo code 
Federalist. Visit MyPillow.com slash Federalist or call 800-794-8429. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash Federalist or call 800-794-8429. Visit MyPillow.com slash Federalist today. Yeah, uh, no, I, I don't disagree with, with any of that. And I think um, it is a, a model. Or this is an opportunity to model better behavior for the rest of Silicon Valley. And honestly, maybe even somebody like Jeff Bezos, who at the end of the day is a cynical crony capitalist um, and, and wants to make money and wants his company to make money, doesn't want his company to lose money, certainly. And if, if Elon Musk can show Silicon Valley that they can return to healthier norms um, that, you know, they're more comfortable with. They can, you know, sort of take the wind out of the sails of the millennial complainers um, and they're on their own staff and that small group of people who complain on Twitter. Um, and, and if Elon Musk can show that that is possible and it can be done and your company. Like could a cheesy even- movie. Yeah. Well, like everyone like just realizes movie. that yeah. they just actually love each other and like they just need Elon to come in there and teach them all. Yeah, and like it's, to it, love again. I don't know if Elon Musk is the perfect person to teach you how to be human again, but no, no. it's <laughs> but all good. But it, this is I the think you take the wind out of the sails of some of the evil. Well, yeah, but that's right. That's it's modeling and saying, look, you can have open source algorithms, you can make this stuff public, and you will be okay, if not better. You can have this this First Amendment approach to speech on your platform and content mo- neutrality, and you can be fine, if not better. And the the downstream effect of that is taking the wind out of the sails of the people who have been getting their way every time they breathe a stupid complaint about something that's not real about racist cubicles, whatever it is. They have been getting exactly what they want for fifteen years because some people actually are true believers and some people are so terrified of being called a bigot understandably so that they have just been cowed and and bulldozed um and if you have people and you show that it's okay to start pushing back on that stuff and standing up to it and your company will be fine the world will be fine everything is not going to burn down you may have some pr things to deal with in the short term you may have some you know flare-ups in the short term but like you said earlier chris you said it best he elon musk is willing to take those slings to show that they don't kill you um and, and i think on algorithms on content moderation and hopefully also on their addictive business models he could be that guy uh who knows if he will be but he could but I, I am cautiously optimistic there are some people out there who are just fanboys i don't think either you or i are one of them and, no. but he he does deserve some optimism and just also you know it just feels good. April's been a good month. It's been the first good month in so long. I mean, you're just saying that because you you left DC for Virginia and you left the rest of us in this hellhole. Oh, that's yeah. That's 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 actually felt like an immediate vacation. But I mean, we we've had we've had Florida stand up to Disney. Uh, that's been incredible. And and like the week and the the week wrist of of some of the National Review writers hasn't even stopped it. You've got a. Uh, You've got Chris Wallace finally no longer on television, and his lasting legacy is the Republican Party removing themselves from the debate commission. True, uh, although he's going to still be on CNN. He's going to like cover breaking news and stuff for them, so don't celebrate just yet. Ah, uh, that's terrible. But you know, um, at least his, at least his baby died. Like his CNN Plus is gone. 
Well, yeah. So I do think we've seen a lot of positive things happen. Musk, Florida, and um, the the debate coverage are the big three, in my perspective, in the last few days that show institutional capture could be you can stand up against it because there are now incentives to stand up against it. You just have it. to have guts. And yeah, if anything makes you happy, it should be that Elon Musk is operating in a culture where he think there is where he thinks that there is still a robust appetite for free speech. Um, and so, yes, we have oligarchs battling each other, but Elon Musk correctly <laughs> understands that this appetite exists. Um, and that's that's true. He's right about that. And that means uh, there's still you know sanity um, in a, a decent portion of the country. Um, and, and that's it's been, I, it's been something that's been good, whether at Right Forge or the Federalists to be like, oh, yeah. well, one of the smartest people in the world uh, thinks that there's a market for what we're doing. Yeah, great. <laughs> so do I. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> no, I agree. Christopher Bedford. No, you're a tech executive. You need to get like a Patagonia vest. And do I? With I'm your so college vest. You need to wear. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you have to wear a puffer vest. <laughs> uh, Chris uh, of Right Forge and of course, senior editor at The Federalist. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You can read Chris's piece up at The Federalist. You can read my piece up at The Federalist. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Darling, you got me right.